Here we are on the final morning of our retreat together. Is the sound going out? Yes? Okay. This is a perfect retreat. As our teachers used to tell us, it had a beginning, (laughs) an adolescence, a midlife crisis or two, (laughs) aging. and dying, dissolving the form of this retreat. We noticed our uh, beloved uh, Kalyanamita, spiritual friend, fellow teacher, Thai, leave some of our fellow brothers and sisters in this path have uh, already moved on and, and soon the winds of karma will blow us in different directions. Hall will be empty. Sometimes it... Uh, reminds us of a a flower this last day. The petals dropping off, but the seeds being blown in different directions and uh, taking root. Wherever we find ourselves, Conditions come and go. Things arise and cease. Go through all the myriad, kaleidoscopic permutations of everything conceivable, but continually dissolving back into that unmoving, beckoning, welcoming original brightness, as the Buddha said, fundamental presence, our home ground. So it really, really has uh, been a privilege practicing together, having the opportunity to share with our wonderful team. But just remember, we're sharing while we're, we're, we're practicing. We're just like you, practitioners. Beginning again, cultivating the way. 
just encouraging us to be really patient and kind with ourselves. For a long time, after every retreat, I got depressed. Sorry to hear that. But it took me a while to realize I was holding on to the samadhi. We've been this beautiful field of, relatively speaking, unification, simplification, gathering. There's a texture, a vibratory smoothness of that that has been built together. And, And naturally, the multiplicity of us leaving, speaking, seeing, coming, going, that that is going to change. I, I, I felt a great loss. and It is beautiful, the samadhi, but just remember it comes and goes. Our deeper refuge is just in this is how it is, being aware of what is. Little by little I've, I've learned to recognize that. So just be really kind, patient with ourselves in this transition. Noticing that that uh, level of smooth gatheredness uh, will most likely change and be bumpy. Just remembering this, this path the Buddha reminds us is gradual and to be patient. Yes, the timeless dharma is always here and now, always welcoming us. That's immediate. But little by little, the falling away of the veils, of the obstructions, that takes time. Hence the Buddha said this, this, this path is like walking out into the sea. There's a gradual shelf and a long way before a a deep drop-off. Or he said, it's like walking into the mist. If someone asks you, well, t- when did you get wet? <laughs> little by little, the moisture suffuses, permeates. Little by little, we're suffusing, permeating, welcoming, awareness into the fabric of our experience, our body and feelings and perceptions, impulses, moments of knowing. So just to be patient with ourselves. And kind. Deep-rooted tendencies. They're sometimes called anusaya. They sometimes are underlying. They seem to be gone. Yippee! But the conditions get right and they, they're sleeping. They come back. So just encouraging ourselves to... When the addictive, the shaming the self-judging, the grumpy, the despairing and hopeless and it's too much, 
voices uh, come to just to remember our refuge is not in them being gone. They're not actually the problem. It's our habitual identification. So we learn to kindly, patiently welcome. Oh, as the Buddha said when he was attacked under the Bodhi tree by all the forces, all the patterns, he says, I know you. Just patiently, kindly knowing the feelings, the tones, the patterns, little by little they lose their power. Ajahn Chah would tell us, don't be in a big hurry to get rid of your afflictions. When we do, then we can fall into this becoming even more of an expert at denial. And it's everybody else that's doing it. Rather, he said, let them be your teachers. When we have a teacher we, we respect, we, we, we feel reverence. The very things we struggle with, he encourages us, they are our teachers. They're important. They become our sharpening stones. They force us to begin again, to be patient, to wake up. When I got really, really, really depressed and sick, my first year or so in Thailand, and I just, I got so, I just felt totally, I'd had some insights, but totally useless. Filled with lust and competition and wanting to be the best, but ending up being a nobody, just another bald head in a robe. I really felt I would never laugh again. It was that dark. That, and I was taken to see Ajahn Chan, talk to him, and he hmm, com- looked at me and heard a little bit about what was happening, and he compared me. He said, oh, you're like a baby squirrel. who saw its mother running, jumping trees, doing acrobatics, and the baby said, yeah, I can do that. And it ran and jumped and bam! (laughs) Fell down crying. Mom said, hey, go to school. So meanwhile, it's translating, the whispering in my ear, I'm on the floor, Ajahn Chah's teaching, and this, this baby squirrel's going to school and learning a few tricks and then the word in Thai is dog. It fell down crying and the mother keeps saying, go to school. So he had this squirrel, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, <laughs> high school. I tell you what, sometime in college or, or the master's, somewhere in there before the PhD, I lost it. I was just dying laughing, rolling, rolling on the floor, hysterically. He keeps talking. <laughs> and and this this uh, squirrel gets a PhD. 
And by then I recovered and sat up. And uh, he was smiling. He just looked me in the eyes and then he said, in one day, that squirrel could do every single thing its mother could do. Jump and turn and balance. I was just filled with uh, joy. We're going to fall down again and again. We begin again. This is how it is. Our refuge is always now. Because it is our nature, just like that squirrel, to do what its mother could do. Our nature is pure and bright. The treasures are within us. Our awakening is inevitable because it's our nature. So let's be kind and patient. Have a sense of humor. Not hate the obstruction. And just trusting everything will unfold according to the Dharma. So it really has been wonderful. I look forward to more adventures with you in the future. Here, there, this continent, that continent, this life, that life. But uh, let's enjoy it. And I'm going to uh, ask our team to have some uh, words too. I'm going to pass it to uh, Jeannie now. Thank you. Good morning again, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Thank you, Kitty Saro, for your beautiful words. <laughs> Thank you. Is that good? Thank you. Um, I also want to express great gratitude and delight for being here with all of you, practicing together with wonderful teachers, Tanisra, Kirisaro, and Tai, and uh, the amazing support that's here at IMS through the beautiful actions of all the staff and this wonderful place that we have to practice in. And I was reflecting that um, During this uh, almost week that we've been here, I think I've gone outside maybe twice (laughs) or three times. And uh, this is really unusual for me. I'm usually, uh, you know, I do a lot of hiking and on retreat in the past, um, I've gone out and climbed the hills of Spirit Rock, the mountain behind Dharmagiri. I was reflecting a little bit on 
why this was so, and I realized that I've just been experiencing a sense of um, contentment and ease in being here that's um, kind of like the, the story of the mist. It's just kind of crept up on me gradually over the years. Um, so I was really appreciating that and um, appreciating the great sense of refuge, both internal and external, that, um, that is available and that, that I've been noticing on this retreat. Um, I was thinking about, I also made a determination when I came to probably notice bow three times every time I came into or left the hall. And internally I've been um, saying to myself some of the lines from uh, the traditional Theravada chants, um, to the Buddha I dedicate this body and life, to the Dhamma I dedicate this body and life, to the Sangha I dedicate this body and life. So um, I wanted to reflect a little bit on that sense of refuge and how the triple gem, the three refuges of Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha are available to us as we transition from this very protected, uh, safe environment out into the wider world. Um, I have a friend a Dhamma friend who I've known for a while, who um, in one fell swoop, kind of overnight, lost her, the things that seemed to give her stable ground. She, her, her marriage ended, she lost her home, uh, she lost her livelihood, and immediately afterwards she lost her health for a period, and she had to really withdraw from the world and from her life in order to take care of herself physically. And um, after a few months, she recovered and she was able to spend some time just really practicing uh, the Dhamma in different um, spiritual communities in different parts of the world to, to recover, continue recovering her health and her ground. And um, it's several years later now, and she's healthy, and she has been working, um, taking care of elderly people. And one man that she was taking care of was expected, he was on hospice and expected to die in a matter of weeks. And um, I had an opportunity to visit her a couple of times, and this man just seemed to Almost, it was almost like pouring water on something that's dried out to rehydrate. He just seemed to get brighter and healthier under her care because there was such presence and kindness that she brought to everything that she did with him. And I asked her, because she'd been practicing all over the world, I asked her, who's your teacher? And without missing a beat, she said, the Buddha. The Buddha is my teacher. And I, that just was so beautiful to me and really stayed with me as something to contemplate. Um, so here we have, you know, we chant the refuges. We have these lovely statues of the Buddha. What does it, what does it really mean to have the Buddha as a refuge? How can we really 
reflect on that and make it practical in life so that it's not that we come off retreat and there's no more Buddha. Um, When we chant the qualities of the Buddha, these are the qualities of the perfected, enlightened one. He's perfected in, in purity, in wisdom and compassion. But the Buddha was also a human being and um, the stories in the early suttas show him interacting with people, problem solving. (laughs) He's not, sometimes he withdraws and meditates when things just, you know, when people are quarreling and they actually say, go away, we don't want your help. But um, a lot of the time he's really meeting whatever is there in front of him, the, all the conflict and pain and suffering of the world. And how does he do this? He, he brings that willingness to be present and to reflect on things in terms of the Dhamma, what he knows to be true, and also with this intention of non-harming and compassion for others. So, uh, I think when we think about the Buddha, it's useful to think not only of this beautiful gilded or bronzed statue that's, that's sitting or standing, but also of, of being, um, being dynamic and being interactive in this way. That can really be supportive. And the Buddha also is the one who knows, is the one who knows the truth of the way things are. And on one hand, that's um, the three characteristics, but the truth is also very dynamic. So seeing, seeing what's appropriate in any given situation is embodying the Buddha and responding with kindness and compassion and wisdom. In terms of the Dhamma, the Dhamma is the way it is, Uh, nature, the way nature is. It's the teachings of the Buddha, which fortunately we have so much access to. And it's also, it's the truth in a certain way, not the truth as a doctrine or a set of ideas to cling to, but it's the truth of, the truth that becomes known to us through reflecting on experience in the way that we've been doing here reflecting on the experience of the body, noticing that things change, um, all of those things that we've been cultivating. And the truth is, um, in, in the Buddhist suttas, the truth is considered protective. Um, there's a sutta about... Um, the serial killer Angulimala, who becomes, through an an, um, encounter with the Buddha, he ceases uh, taking lives and becomes a monk. And when he's on alms round, he encounters um, a woman having a great deal of difficulty in childbirth. And this person who's thought nothing of, he was about to kill his mother, when he saw the Buddha, and then he was about to kill the Buddha, and this was his, to be his hundredth victim. He wore a, a necklace of fingers of his victims around his, 
around his neck. Um, So he, this person who was like that, felt such compassion for this mother having a difficult time that she went back, he went back to the Buddha and told him, and the Buddha said, go back to that mother and speak truth that you haven't taken a life since you were born. And Angulimala said, Lord, that's not true. I, I have taken life. And the Buddha said, well then, say that you haven't taken a life since you became a monk, since you went forth. So the story goes, Angulimala went back and proclaimed this, and the, the mother was able to give birth. And um, this, these chants are still used by women giving birth in Asia. But there's something about the power of truth that is protective of the heart. So when we are able to reflect in terms of the Dharma, that can be a protection for us and also for others that we meet. Um, So Sangha is, you know, on, on the most obvious level, it's those of us who are practicing together and our teachers and the historical Sangha throughout all the ages. But one of the most beautiful expressions I've heard of what Sangha is um, came from Ajahn Amro. Sangha is how we treat each other. And I would include ourselves in that. So we can bring Sangha with us both through these outward means of connecting with like-minded people, but also in the kindness that we give to ourselves and the kindness and honesty and trustworthiness that we're able to offer to other people. And one never knows what effect that will have. Um, We were reflecting on the state of the world last night, and um, on one hand, it looks like it might be going down, but on the other, (laughs) like big time, but on the other, there there are good people in the world, there's goodness in the world, and this is clear evidence of that. And um, if we lose sight of that, can reflect for ourselves on our own goodness in undertaking this very beautiful and challenging practice and have some confidence and uh, the intention and the ability to offer that to other people, even in small ways. um, Some people in interviews were talking about the challenge of reorienting when things like um, work or uh, status or our own views of ourselves or our relationships don't seem to be reliable ground anymore, or we may see through them with insight in some way. And these refuges, while not solid, are reliable and trustworthy. And it's a gift to ourselves and others to be able to reflect on them and cultivate that sense of of safety and security 
and ease. Again, thank you everybody for your practice and for being here and I wish you every blessing as you go forward from here and that you bring these blessings to others. Thank you, Jeannie and Kitty Sorrow. <clears throat> Beautiful words, reminders, and encouragements as we go forward um, into the testing ground <laughs> of our practice. There's something that also comes to mind reflecting on the Buddha that um, after his awakening and he was contemplating how to communicate, how to engage. And he had an insight into um, the understanding that uh, one lives unhappily without something to serve, or someone to serve. Those that have something or someone to serve um, that's worthy uh, plants the root of happiness and fulfillment but he didn't quite understand what he could serve because he had, in a way, uh, so much more insight than an understanding and accomplishment than those around him. So he understood that actually what he could serve was the Dharma. And in doing serving the Dharma, of course, he served many beings, all kinds of beings, served the earth, uh, served creatures, Um, and did that consistently for over 40 years. So it wasn't just a momentary idea, oh, I think I'll help someone. (laughs) It was uh, backed by these very um, mature um, path factors that he had developed and cultivated, parameters, qualities of heart. And even in moments when clearly it was extremely challenging, and he even one moment gave up on everyone, said, oh, I've had enough of these warring disciples, and went off into the forest for a while, but still he continued. He went to have lived with just elephants and monkeys. <laughs> and he continued um, until he'd fulfilled, um, he felt he needed to fulfill until he, before he passed over, which was the establishment of the uh, fourfold Sangha, He's uh, male and female, monastics and and lay people, uh, dedicated to the way of awakening. And that's that wasn't an easy thing to ground this teaching and way into forms, into supporting a way of practice, into a body of teachings that could last through time and space. And this is why he was known as the uh, Samasam Buddha. Uh, there are many pe- beings that have the same insight into nibbana, exact same taste, but they are different in that 
they either choose not to teach or they don't bring it the teaching to full accomplishment. But what was different about uh, this Sakyamuni Buddha, as he's known, is that he brought the teaching to full accomplishment and was able to turn the wheel of the Dharma, that it had some momentum even to this time and space here and now in this place. Um, so this turning of the wheel of the Dharma and even being willing, as um, Jeannie was just saying, to uh, I find it very moving when I think of how he went out of his way to help a serial killer turn that around and help him understand this birth, this noble birth, um, that there's this starting again, whatever's happened, whatever we've done. He's saying that, you know, since you took the noble birth, since you entered, yes, the robes, but also the stream of the Dharma, then it is transformative, it changes, you can no longer hurt beings, you can no longer take life. So this, uh, and the blessing and power of that, that even Angriyamala, who had this pretty hefty karma (laughs) that he had created, was able to still serve and heal and help many beings in the remainder of his life. So it's not so much about what's gone before, but about how the Dharma and how as we deepen into awakening can help direct the current of our life in this way of of service. And helping to bring even um, whatever we can share, whatever level, for the the welfare of others. And this was the intention of the service Yes, to mature one's own practice, but also actually for the welfare, as he taught his disciples, go out into the world for the welfare of the many folk, for the other beings. So this is still the encouragement. And at this time, on this earth, at this point, there is a, there's a, you know, a great task, which is to secure... a sustainable uh, world for those to come after us, and that's under threat. Um, We have never been at this point in our human evolution, we've never been to the point where we are now capable through um, our lifestyles and through what we are doing to the planet to geologically change the very nature of the earth, the biosphere, the ice caps, the oceans, and so on. So that it's threatening and endangering many, many species, many plant lives, many great forests, and ultimately even our own human civilization. So it's a time of great danger, and it's not happening because of an outside force of something else outside, but it's happening because of the unchecked momentum of our own, these three fundamental poisons that we've been working with, greed, hatred, and delusion, projected out onto, um, onto, the, onto the natural world, primarily to, in order to extract um, through this endless thirst and craving to improve and, and satiate um, 
our own human needs regardless of the consequences. And it's very clear that we can't really continue on that trajectory without uh, endangering everything that we hold dear. So it's a particular challenge that's unique and unprecedented for this time. And it's not a challenge that we should, you know, taking, as Jeannie said, the example of the Buddha, uh, shirk away from, really, because this practice will bring us some more capacity and maybe the lifestyles that we already have have some more privileges and powers and capacities than other beings have, many other beings that are receiving the consequences of our changing climate, our changing world, don't have those capacities and powers and freedoms. So because of that, the responsibility is even more acute. So I'd like to encourage us as we go out to contemplate this way of service. How can we personally, collectively respond to these times in ways that uh, can help alleviate suffering and ignorance and greed and the hatred that, that, that is threatening so much at this moment. And they may be very small ways, they may be very large ways, but everyone, this turning the wheel of the Dharma, everyone put shoulder to the wheel even a little bit, it helps it to keep turning, it helps it to keep showing another way that there is, as the Buddha said, might there be another way This is our question. (laughs) Might there be another way? It's not might there be, we have to find another way (laughs) and quick. And there is another way. You know, this part has great potential to transform and transmute um, these forces, these poisons into into a beautiful way. Into a way of extending empathy into a way of wise relationship to resources, into a way of um, compassionate consideration, into a way of when the Buddha was negotiating with warring factions to do everything one can to try and step down the, the inflammatory languages and actions that create conflict. He didn't always succeed. Um, but he tried, that's the point, he, he went out of his way to try um, to awaken others. And so we don't just leave that for the Buddha, um, for the great beings, um, because, you know, at this point, this is, a, this is the activity of Sangha, is to awaken individually, support each other collectively, but also to respond and engage and support the the world we're within so that there can be the maintenance of well-being for those far beyond ourselves. And in this way we fulfill the gift of the Dharma. I love that um, 
where we live in South Africa, lands before were the lands of the Khoisan, the First Nation peoples, which were decimated through the colonial invasions that happened um, across that continent. Um, and in many ways, it's a you know, profoundly tragic and devastating history of a peoples that were so profoundly um, aligned and in communion with the forces of nature, cosmos, subtle realms, um, deep knowledges, like on the back of Umvaleni Mountain, uh, where Dhammagiri is, there are paintings of the shamans wrestling with a rain beast that lives in the mountain. And to help control the weather patterns, they would sort of capture and work with the weather. And I, I very much think that rain beast still lives <laughs> in that mountain. We have very, very particular and peculiar weather patterns that seem to respond to our Dharma practice. <laughs> it's called a place of rain, a place of openings. Um, but one of the, you know, this was a peoples that lived um, for thousands of years in relationship to to Mother Nature in a ways that we have forgotten. And one of their core, you know, um, ways of being as a community was to 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 just you know your core purpose was to show up to just show up you don't have to show up even in a particular way or have all the answers but just to show up and to celebrate so as we go forward let's try and keep showing up <laughs> for what's going down and in the midst of what surely will be many challenges, let's still also remember to celebrate the great gift of our lives, great gifts that bring that are brought to us through our lives, of our friendships, and all that we enjoy and um, love about our lives, about this world, about nature, about the creativity, about the, the beauty that can be expressed and shared um, even the beauty of deep truths that tell challenging things. So let's celebrate, let's show up.